Welcome to Real Life Christianity with Deacon John Lozano. This podcast is about real life and living it in the light of the gospel. Real things, everyday things, relationships at home and work, real issues that the world presents every day, the complexities, difficulties, joys and aspirations of being human. Deacon John is a real guy, a deacon, but also a husband, a dad, a businessman, as well as an experienced counselor, educator, and author. And Deacon John invites us to come as you are as he brings the transformative power of the gospel down from the clouds to real life, your life. Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Good morning, good morning, good morning. I, I, I was and am so impressed by you uh, coming as far as you come. I think there's, a, in the tradition, Catholic tradition, there's a thing called a pilgrimage, and uh, it, it was common in our history to go long distances. <laughs> and the belief was that the traveling was part of the mission, part of the experience. Uh, it, and I think when we travel, when we make effort, we get disposed uh, to God by doing that. Um, so there's something of, of grace at work there with, with you folks, especially coming so far, and a lot of you. Even coming here at all, there's a lot of other things you could be doing right now. <laughs> and you know the temptation. Good for you. Golly, good for you. As I said in the beginning, uh, in my life, retreats have, have been pivotal in my own conversion and faith development. And uh, so good for you. This is where we, uh, I think, as Catholicism at its best in terms of evangelization and growing in faith is retreats. It's what we do. But we only do it together. It only happens if you show up. Good for you. Um, we're going to go a little further here. Yesterday we spoke about encountering Jesus, meeting the risen Jesus, and how that's the center of our faith, and it is. Today we decide for Jesus. We talk about the decisions involved in that. So we meet him. Uh, just like you meet a good friend or you meet your spouse, uh, you have an encounter, a friendship of love, something happens in your life, but then you got to decide. Am I going to keep this friendship and develop it and make choices intentionally? Am I going to have a, a healthy marriage? <laughs> am I going to marry? <laughs> and am I going to make it work? Uh, that's kind of up to us. So let's uh, just take a moment to pray, as always good to do, and just ask uh, the Holy Spirit to be with us. Remember what I said uh, the first night was, you help me and one another through your openness to God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come among us, to breathe within us, to move among us, to set a fire in us. 
for you. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, there's a story of three guys who all died at the same time. They go up to heaven, and St. Peter meets them at the front of the gate and says, you know, there's these three different churches. You're all having a, a funeral service, and you're laid out in the casket. Um, as people go to your funeral, what do you wish they would say about you? This one guy goes, well, I wish they would say I was a good businessman, fair and just in all my dealings. Second guy goes, well, I wish they would say I was a good family man, husband and father, and care for others. And the third guy's over here, and he's looking a little sheepish like this. And so St. Peter says, come on, come on, speak up. Well, what do you wish people were saying about you as they walk by your casket? He goes, well, really, I'd wish they say, look, he's moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be better to be alive? <laughs> Isn't it good to be alive, truly alive? Jesus um, chooses disciples. Jesus chose you and me. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, come after me. Come after me. And I will make you fishers of men. And once they left their nets and followed him, he walked along from there and saw two other brothers, James and the son of Zebedee and his brother John and they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. We're here because Jesus chose us. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> That's a big thing. That he chose us by name and called us by name. You know, it's interesting in this gospel, you see, when in that time, when someone followed a rabbi or a, a teacher, they signed up for it. They said, Could you, would you please be my rabbi, my teacher? And they would get accepted or rejected. But not with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus signed them up. <laughs> he chose them. He didn't wait for them to come to him. And then... He just says, follow me. Wow. There's no blueprint. There's no outline. There is no, uh, he doesn't give a little seminar on how this is going to happen and where it's going. He doesn't even tell them how they're going to fish for people. Jesus' call must have been extraordinarily appealing. He must have had something, but it was also very confusing. 
what is this? Where am I going? I don't know, but I'm going with you. Sometimes I feel that way, don't you? I don't know where I'm going. I know all the details. Sometimes this Christianity thing is difficult, and I'm confused. But I'm going with you. Just come and follow me. We'll work it out together. And there's a sense of urgency. It wasn't like go home and think about it. It's like now or never. It's, it's a now. It's fast-paced. It happens. He was that they were invited into an intimate relationship with Jesus that we spoke about yesterday, of knowing him deeply, personally, and intimately in our life. I mean, what did they do? They ate with him and slept with him and traveled with him and woke up in the morning with him. Saw him firsthand. What does that mean for us, friends? It, it, it asks a really poignant question. Why are you here? And why are you here? Because it's the retreat day? But why do you have faith? I mean, some of the comments you guys made a few minutes ago were remarkable to me. I'm asking people in my Bible study and in our coming. Boy, that's a discipleship question. Good for you. Someone says, what do we do for homeless people and prostitutes? It's a discipleship question. Good for you. Where'd you get that? Again, I think it's the mystery of God's mercy. We live in a mystery of mercy. You see, it's not us who seek God, it's God who seeks us. I said it yesterday, he seeks you out, like he sought them out and asked them to make a decision. You know, why are you here? Why do you have faith? Is it because you had good, a lot of people say, oh, I had good parents. I have an influential grandmother. I had a great teacher in Catholic school. I read a good book. Uh, I had some friends who helped me along. Great. Avenues of grace. But friends, there's a lot of people with great grandmothers and good teachers who read good books who don't have faith. They don't. They're not here. And they had all that. So why are you and I here? I don't know. But I know one thing. His mercy. His mercy for you. That somehow in this life of human freedom and God's grace, he got you to some degree. A significant degree, I guess, because you're here. He got you. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think about that. I don't know why I have faith. I'm not better than anybody. I'm not the smartest person or the most talented. I, I've got a checkered past. I mean, what, what, why me? I don't know. But I know him who looks at us and calls us to come in a mysterious way. Remember I said God's love, you know, is a passionate love. He's not prissy. God's love isn't prissy. He's not like, you know, this. He's not stale, like something old. He's not exhausted, not too tired. 
He's not distracted like we are. He's not stingy. He's not stingy. He doesn't like parcel it out. God's love is daring, like he did with the disciples. That's a daring act. It's vital. It's a fire. It's a flame. Jesus' heart must have burned when he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. This is really important. Come follow me. God's love is like a continuous movement. It's moving right now. It moves every moment. It's never not with us. What a wonderful way to go through life, isn't that? Changes this concept of God that, I don't know, when I was brought up, when I used to pray, it was like, I got to get God to pay attention to me. And I've got to you know, be good to get him to love me. And I've got to do this and that. As opposed to, it's already there. It's given. It's now. And, you know, it's not dependent on us. This is the beautiful thing. You know, when he calls uh, uh, Peter, remember that? The, Peter's fishing all day, right? And he's a fisherman. And biblically, what's that? Fisher of men. Fisher of men. But he's, a, he's fishing fish at this point. <laughs> and he's good at it. And that area had prolific fish, apparently. But he had a bad day. He caught nothing. Jesus gets in the boat and says, go out to deeper water and put out your net for a catch. Now, if I was Peter, I'd say, okay, you're the preacher guy. I'm the fisherman. I just fished these waters. I know these waters. This is not your purview. It's mine. But okay. Maybe just to make him happy? Maybe as an act of faith. Maybe he wondered, what are you about, Jesus? Let's see if you're about this, like you say you are. Throw the net over. Oh, my God, he can't pull them all in. Let's get three boats to pull in this abundant response. What is his response when he sees Jesus in a totally new way? Leave me, Lord. Leave me. I am a sinful man. That's how I sometimes feel. It can't be me. What does he say? Peter, do not be afraid, Peter. Do not be afraid. Fear is useless. What is needed is trust. I don't see you, Dad. I see you, daughter. Jump. Jump, Peter. And from now on, you'll be catching men. Peter made a decision at that point to follow him. And he realized a pivotal aspect of our discipleship. It's not about me. Yeah, Peter is a sinful man. So am I. So are you. We're all sinners. That's not the issue. Never has been and never will. There's a, a great scripture that, and I think we've got to really kind of get this. 
from Matthew that uh, really, I think, drives this home in a rather beautiful way about the wedding feast. So the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He dispatched his servants to summon the invited guests to the feast, but they refused. They got the invitation to make a decision. They said no. Friends, people get the invitation, and they say no. Their decision is no. Second time, he sent servants saying to those invited, Behold, don't you get it? My banquet is prepared. The calves and the fatted cattle are killed. Everything is ready. Come to the feast. It's this abundant banquet. It's here. And even in spite of that, some ignored the invitation, went away, went to his farm, went to his business. He was, they were busy. They were engaged men with a lot of stuff. And the rest laid hold of his servants, mistreated them, and some even killed them. King got enraged and sent his troops to get those murderers. And he said to his servants, my feast is ready. And those who were invited were not worthy to come. So go out, therefore, into the main roads and invite to the feast whomever you find. Whomever you find. The servants went out in the streets and gathered all they found, the good and the bad alike. And the hall was filled. Wow. The good and the bad alike. The first invitation went out to the good, Pharisees, religious readers, those who would you assume would say yes. They said no. That doesn't stop him. Remember, <laughs> he's not prissy and stale and doesn't stop. He doesn't pull back. He keeps asking and goes on the highways and asks you and you and you. Good or bad, doesn't matter. See, it doesn't really matter how good you are, friends, ultimately. Now, of course, you want to be good. But ultimately, it doesn't matter how good you are. And it really doesn't matter how bad you are. The only thing that matters here is saying yes, yes, to the invitation, deciding for Jesus. That's all that matters. We get hung up on how good we are. That's going to make me loved by God or how bad we are. God can't love me. That's not really on God's agenda. All he wants is your yes, that you come to him and fall into his embrace. And when you meet him in that embrace, then he sends you. It's not about us. It's not about how good or bad you are. And the bottom line is we're all probably good, all of us here, and we're all sinners. So we never escape that anyway. So let's not get hung up on ourselves here. We are chosen in his mercy, and we have a decision to make. It's a decision. I'm going to uh, share with you a line here that I, I got just about a year ago that has really affected me. I, I don't know why. It just crystallized this a bit. And it goes like this. I'll read it twice, slow. 
There is nothing you can do to get God to love you more. And there is nothing you can do to get God to love you less. Oh, my. There is nothing you can do to get God to love you more. And there's nothing you can do to get God to love you less. Now, I don't know about you, but that hit something inside me. You know, my upbringing, pre-Vatican II, there's a judgment there. God's the judge, and got to win his approval, win his love, a lot of stuff. But boy, this is so true. It's what he is. It's his nature. It's what he does. What we all can do and what we all must do is decide to leave whatever keeps us from him. And we all have something. And go where he leads to become disciples. Faith is a call a personal, to a personal relationship with the intimate love of God and Jesus. The first words of Jesus is, now is the time, the time of fulfillment in me, in Jesus. There's the fulfillment. Repent. Repentance in the Greek means to have a new mind, to see things differently. I hope, like that line I just read you, that helped me to see things differently, to see him differently, to see this faith differently. If something's connecting with you in your head or emotionally you're being touched during this retreat, that's the Holy Spirit, friends. Stay with it. If it's a scripture, a line I read, somebody says something to you, or just a moment of grace, don't miss that. It's Jesus. It's the Spirit. Take it in. Pray with it. You know, our minds are really what need to be cleared up. That's where the repentance is. We have a lot of stinking thinking, right? And we want to get it right. Our culture gives us a lot of thinking. But so does the gospel. Let me give you an example. As you look back at yourself, especially when you were younger, do you ever uh, have a memory of something you did and it's, you're just like so embarrassed by the memory? It's like, it's, it's like one of those moments when I have them, I'm like, thank God no one can read my thoughts because I don't want them to see what I just did back then. And what is the thing that comes to my mind, your mind? What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Yeah, what was I thinking? And what am I thinking now? A whole lot different than then. That's God's grace at work in our lives. I'm going to end with uh, a story, two stories. One is the call of uh, Cavaggio, uh, a painting. Um, Cavaggio was a, I think, a Renaissance painter. He's in the news right now because I just found one of his works. He, he was, he's a magnificent artist. 
and he's uh, Italian, and he, he lived a kind of a not great life. Um, but he, ever, all of his stuff was religious, and he was brilliant with the use of light in his paintings. And my favorite painting of his, and probably my favorite painting overall, is The Call of Matthew. You, you can look it up on the website if you want. And uh, it's one of the most compelling uh, paintings I've ever seen. So you have this table, and you imagine it's probably tax collectors, a couple people on the sides and someone at the end of the table. And you have Jesus at the front of the table doing this, calling. And with his beautiful use of light, you have the light coming. It's kind of, they're surrounded in darkness, but there's this light coming towards them. It's, it's this, this Jesus coming to them. Now, there's a controversy on who is Matthew. They even asked Cavaggio, and he wouldn't answer it, so there really is no answer. There's one guy looking like this, but he may be going like this, which is what I think, to the guy at the end of the table. The guy at the end of the table is a young guy sitting. He's the only one sitting. He's got this money around him on the table, right? Tax collector. And he's kind of like, almost like he's looking at the money and Jesus at the same time. It's like this moment. And this, this light's coming. He's got darkness around him except here. He's still in darkness. But there's this light. And it's as if Jesus is saying, come on. Come, Matthew. Come. And he has this decision. This or him. And it's like he's wavering. And then he says, yes. Matthew says, yes. You know, friends, that is the call in our lives, especially in the places where we're, you know, it's my stuff. It's my money. It's my relationships. It's whatever it might be. Or whatever the fear is, whatever the thing you, you're like this with, we all have it. He comes there. He comes in our sinfulness. Well, God doesn't come just when we're on retreats and going to Mass. He, he comes when we don't look good, when we're not at our best. He comes to sinners because He loves sinners. He's crazy about sinners. And he calls them in their sin. You know, in, in the Bible, when Matthew, this just blows me away, when Matthew was called, where was he? At the tax collector's post. He was in the very act of sinning, if you, and they understood it that way then. So he's at the tax collector's post, doing this, and Jesus says, come on. He doesn't wait for him to get his act together. He doesn't wait for him to say he's sorry. He just says, come on. That's what he does to you and me. That's mercy. Then there's Joseph, 
uh, I've never spoken about him on a retreat before, but it's his year and a few thoughts on him and then my own story. Joseph was a guy, just like us. He wasn't conceived without sin. He wasn't immaculate, and he wasn't the son of God, divine. He was a guy. And he had a woman he was crazy about, and she got pregnant. Now, I don't know about you, but when I fell in love with my wife, I was pretty um, uh, insecure and didn't want anybody looking at her and she looking at anybody because I'm investing my emotional self in this person. It's a tender time, and she's pregnant. Whoa. Whoa. Talk about getting your legs cut out from under you. So he's going to divorce her, and he has a dream, and it's like God is saying, come on. Even in that, come on. There's no way he understood any of this. Just like we don't understand so much of our life of faith. and sight. But just come on. He says, okay, I'll marry her. Then he finds out the king, who's, this is a ruthless time, is going to kill the child and probably him and his wife. Do you know how terrifying that would be? We, we take all this as like, we sanitize this. Oh, he's so holy and it's so easy because he's a saint. Ah, come on. He's human. So you've got to get up with a pregnant woman, take her somewhere on a difficult journey. Okay. And then I got to... People are talking about us, wagging their fingers. I go. I, I can't even care for her to get a good place to have a baby. So it's a kind of a stall. Okay. This isn't good. I don't like this. But okay. Then the Magi come. What in the world are they? What does this mean? He has, he has no foreknowledge. He doesn't know who Jesus is. Mary doesn't. It says she pondered all these things in her hearts. Could you imagine? Remember I said when you're called to discipleship, he doesn't give you all the answers and all. Imagine the confusion, the quest in her head. Gosh. And he says, okay. Then he gets another dream. He's in danger. He's got, I think it's Egypt this time, which is really far away. And you have to remember that traveling at that time was extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, Bishop Robert Barron says uh, Joseph was seen as probably abusive to his family. It was abusive to put your family through that. But he rose and took the child and his mother because God called him, and he obeyed. And then, as you know, he's got to go all the way back. That's all we know of Joseph. Do you know there's not one word of him in the Bible? What do we know about him? He said yes. He said yes to a call. 
He made a decision. Wow. Where would Jesus have been without Mary's decision? Where would Mary have been without Joseph? Where would we be? There's a disciple who said yes to a call. An intentional disciple who chose God first. And it made him holy. So a little bit about myself, my own faith development, um, and I'll end. is uh, So I'm from Long Island, New York, originally. Um, born up in the 60s, pretty rough time. Uh, brought up Catholic, had faith, always had faith. But it was for Sunday, and it was on the margins of my life, pretty much. And basically, as I became a teenager, it was my friends. There was a lot going on back then. Uh, 60s were kind of wild time. My father was a, a guy who owned his own business in Manhattan. He worked all the time. He was also an alcoholic. Now, he never came home drunk, but you, he just hid a lot. He's a very gentle man, actually, a very good man. Went to church, but he, was, he hid with his alcohol, and he hid with his job. So I grew up without a father, mostly. So I was fathered by my friends on the street. So by the time I'm like 15, 16 years old, turning 16, I'm living a kind of a fast life. Like some of these guys in Long Island had money and cars, and so I would go to school, but I would also play sports, and I'd be in a, play a guitar in a rock band, and we'd be doing some drinking, started to experiment with drugs, running around after girls, and I was not on the deacon track. <laughs> so that's the way I am, uh, but I still had faith. I would pray when I was in trouble, uh, help me, <laughs> and I believed, but it wasn't at the center of my life at all. It was here. It was real, but it wasn't here. So uh, a couple months into being 16, my father wakes up in the middle of the night and starts vomiting blood. He had internal hemorrhaging in his throat, esophagus, from the alcohol. And he's rushed to the hospital, and two days later, he's dead. So I'm 16, and I'm like, Okay. I start asking questions. I start an openness to God that most 16-year-olds aren't there. About my father in heaven. Where was he? And what's going to happen now? I, I think the biggest experience is one of fear. Because I was 16, my father's dead, and your father's like the rock, you know? He was a good man. So I prayed, and then I went to my uh, cousin, who's a Franciscan priest, and he was going to say the funeral, and I went to confession. Not everything, but most of it. And he said, uh, for your penance, listen to your father's funeral. I thought, well, I could do that. So I'm at my father's funeral. I'm 16. He's dead. I have my family there. I was really scared, but I listened. And the words started to just, I was listening like I've never listened. I mean, I was there. And the scriptures, the preaching, the prayers, the hymns, something is coming at me. 
to this whole mass. And I prayed something in a way I never prayed it. It's very simple. Help. Help me. And all I could tell you, something came to me. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear any voices. But this impression of a presence came upon me. And I said, thought it filled this church. And the sense I had was, it's okay. You're going to be okay. I am here. I didn't know at six, now what I know that it was the resurrected Jesus. I didn't have that kind of language at that point. But it was, now looking back, that risen one, that mercy I've spoken of, that came to me when I most needed him. And I walked out of that church like, there's something here. And my life, my trajectory of my life has never been the same. It just turned. I mean, I started to go to church because I wanted to. I started to talk to people about God and faith. I started going on retreats. Remember I said how pivotal that was? Over and over. Then I got invited to a prayer meeting. Went to a prayer meeting. Another experience. And here I am, because of his mercy, in choosing me when I wasn't my best, and gave me the grace to fall into it. Friends, may it be the same for us. It's not a one-time affair. It's an everyday, every moment, intimate relationship with the one who loves you. And just pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the gift of faith that you've given each of us to this point in our life. We thank you for one another in this community of faith, this church, this community gathered here, the gift of faith around us. Jesus, we ask you to help us with our fear. We ask you to help us with anything that keeps us from you. We say yes today, Jesus. You alone, Lord. You alone. Come, Holy Spirit. And we ask you to move among the hearts of each of us gathered here in a new and deeper and more vibrant way. Come, Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds that we might understand you. And enlighten our lives that we might choose you. Come, Holy Spirit, come.
thank you for listening and for sharing the good news with Deacon John, who asks you to come back often and support him by subscribing, by rating the site, and please share our site with others in your circle.